Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Kelvin and Joyce, for allowing us to share a story. Thank you so much. Come on. Let's pray as we begin, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your miraculous power. We thank you that you are alive, that you work wonders today. God, we thank you for that story, Lord. We thank you for how you've broken through into the Tan family. And God, we know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive and lives in us today. And God, we ask today, let there be such a divine exchange that's released. God, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. Our pain, our sorrow, our weakness for your perfect strength and peace. God, we ask for your wonders to be made manifest in our lives. We speak to every impossible situation and circumstance. And we say the name of Jesus speaks a better word. We say the name of Jesus speaks a better word than any doctor's report, than any impossibility, than any circumstance. The name of Jesus reigns and rules, stands higher than above, above every other word. So we ask God that you be glorified through the preaching of the word, through the ministry today. Lord, we know that when you are high and lifted up, that you will draw all men to yourself. So we ask Jesus, may you be lifted up May you be lifted up in all that we do today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just saw some stuff and I felt like I needed to read it to you. No, I really like this, but I'm not sure whether it's your cup of tea, so let me know. <laughs> I, like, I like those little church signs. How many of you have seen that, you know? Those little church signs, and uh, they put like words or Bible verses. It's usually out in the parking lot. Uh, it's more common in the US, but Singapore, we don't have them. And I told the team that I really, 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 really want one. And I really, really, really want one downstairs. And, uh, but it's a lot of work to upkeep. But I like the little phrases that people put in it. Like there's one that goes, you know, the sermon title is, Do You Know What Hell Is? Come here, our pe- preacher. Okay, that's not funny. <clears throat> Genesis 1 verse 3, teenage, teenager version. And God said, let there be light. And it was lit. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Isn't that funny? Choose the bread of life or you are toast. <laughs> Okay, this is my favorite one. Okay, this is the one that I really want to get to. <clears throat> Adam and Eve, the first people to not read the Apple terms and conditions. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> that is funny. Well, uh, as Andrew said, we are on week four of our miracle series. Come on. How many of you enjoyed hearing Jeff last week? Yes? Those stories, man. Amazing. And... um. And so this week, uh, we're wrapping up the series. I'll just like to share with you real quickly. But I want to encourage you, you know, if you missed uh, any one of the sermons, uh, 
just pop over to a podcast and listen to them. You know, this whole thing was designed to be a three-piece meal, as all KFC meals should be. And so, you know, this one sermon on its own might feel incomplete, but listen to one and two and you'll have a full meal, minus the whipped potato and coleslaw. But, <coughs> and Jeff Yen is the whipped potato. <laughs> Do not put that in. <laughs> So I'm, I'm wrapping up the series. And you know, for, for us, this is more than a series. Amen? It's more than a series. This is a next step forward in our journey as a church. For years, we've been wanting to see more of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural, the wonders, the miracles, the signs in the church. And uh, we're making a conscious, intentional decision to pursue more of the supernatural, to see more stories of victory and triumph, to see the impossibilities of life bow to the name of Jesus. Come on. I long for the day where we don't have enough screen time to show all the stories. How many of you want, want a church like How many of you want to experience life in that measure? Possibilities bowing to the name of Jesus. And we started this uh, series of a goal. I don't know how many of you remember the goal, but it's so smarty pants that I'm so proud of myself for coming out with that goal. But it's, the goal is this moving from being theologically charismatic yet functionally cessationist to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Moving from being theologically charismatic, that means believing in miracles, yet functionally cessationist, not doing anything about it, to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's our goal. And this is week four of miracles. Come on. It will be a miracle to me if you responded more. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the provision. It was not forced at all. <laughs> I like to start off with a quote. Thank you. I like to start off with a quote from Dallas Willard, of course. <laughs> Favorite. It goes this. Many people think of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who gets us into heaven. So the question is often is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? But we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? As my teacher. You know, we've talked about discipleship uh, in recent times. And here at the city, we believe that the Christian life is all about apprenticeship and discipleship to Jesus of Nazareth. And that looks like reorienting your lives around three goals. And the three goals are this, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the works of Jesus. And it's captured in what we affectionately call our passion statement, which I seem to be the only one in the whole church who remembers, but you all will get there someday. I believe it in faith, in Jesus' name, impossibilities will bow. But it goes like this. We exist to help all people be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus. Hallelujah. Miracle. And we know, be with Jesus, you know, it's, it's experiencing the life of God, the relationship that we all have access to. It. Paul calls it prayer of our seizing. Jesus calls it abiding divine. Brother Lawrence calls it the practice of the presence. It's experiencing intimacy with God, being with Jesus. Becoming like Jesus means that we long to embody Christ-like character, Christ-like virtues. We long to look like our Messiah. It does us no good to be constant, only active in Christian activity and not look like Christ. That making sense? It does us no good to, you know, worship 24-7, raise the day and do all sorts of good stuff, but 
have no resemblance of Christ in you. We are to be conformed into the image of our Savior. That's the will and the desire of God for us to become like Jesus. And the last thing in our apprenticeship and discipleship to Jesus is to do the works of Jesus, to do the stuff. And today I want want to talk a bit about that, doing the works of Jesus. Jesus as our teacher isn't just agreeing with his teaching or amassing more spiritual information. In the Great Commission, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. Teaching and obedience must go hand in hand. Teaching and obedience must go hand in hand. Teaching void of practical outworking of a practical expression does not lead to transformation. We become transformed not by the amount of information we amass, but by how much that information has changed and reoriented our lives. Teaching and obedience must go hand in hand. There is a practical outworking expression of all that we learn in Scripture. You do not become more spiritual just because I'm shouting the Bible at you and you, in some way, become spiritual by osmosis. Our time together here, learning and hearing from the Word of God, ought to compel us, ought to charge us, ought to push us to live out the Scriptures that we read. And in doing so, in obedience, is where transformation happens. Am I making sense? So the, it brings me to this question. So why are we here together as the church? What is the purpose of our community, of this gathering? Why do we come together as a church? And why do we exist fundamentally as a body of people? For some of us, it may be to learn. You know, some of you come here because I teach. Some of you come here for other reasons. Maybe you come to church to honor God by sending this time aside. Perfectly right. No, this is an amazing uh, perspective. Maybe you come to church to have your needs met. Also great. Maybe you come to church to get support. Also great. These are all good things, you know, to learn, to honor God, to get support, to get your needs met. All great reasons to come to church. But my suggestion to you this morning is that all those reasons are subsets of a primary reason. And that is we exist for a mission and an assignment. The fundamental reason why we exist is for a mission and an assignment. And that mission and assignment for us as believers, for us as the church, as the body of Christ, is reflected in what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The assignment of the church, the assignment of the believer is to bring that reality on earth as it is in heaven. That is why we exist as a church. That is why we as Christians exist on planet earth. Have you ever wondered why you weren't instantly zapped up into heaven the moment you said, I believe in Jesus? Have you ever considered the reason or considered that you might have been left here on earth for a purpose, for a mission, and for assignment. That making sense to you? 
What does that mean? On earth as it is in heaven. Big, grandiose statement. Let me break it down to you. It means simply this. It means heaven's realities displacing earth's realities. On earth, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's disease, there's sorrow. In heaven, none of that exists. And it's the will of God for His reality to be established and made manifest on this planet. I'm making sense. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that scripture is a very familiar passage. And we know that Adam and Eve uh, disqualified themselves of uh, their place in Eden and their place in the glory and also their divine assignment. But we know the blood of Jesus has redeemed that. It redeems us from hell. Andrew spoke about it earlier. It redeems us from the consequences of sin. It redeems us from eternal damnation. It redeems us. But the blood of Jesus does not only redeem us, it restores us. It restores us from, to where we have fallen. Or sin and fallen short of the glory of God. It restores us to a place of glory. But not only that, it restores us to mankind's original assignment. Adam and Eve were given an assignment in Eden. And they disqualified themselves from that assignment through sin. And today, the blood of Jesus has redeemed and restored mankind to glory. Not just that, to our divine assignment. And that assignment is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It goes like this, Then God blessed them, Adam and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fishes in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Adam and Eve weren't designed to be confined and kept to the safety bubble that is Eden. Their mission was to extend the boundaries of God's domain and dominion and subdue the earth. That was the assignment given to Adam and Eve. And today, we, as a body of Christ, as people redeemed and restored by the second Adam, today, we have that same divine assignment to subdue the earth, to extend the boundaries of God's domain and dominion. I'd like to suggest to you that the gospel is not an evacuation project. It's a call to transfigure a broken and lost world. It is not an evacuation project. Most of us approach Christianity as such. You know, I pray the prayer, I get saved, and just wait it out in my doomsday bunker, just ignore all the problems happening in the world, and one day Jesus is going to come back for me. If that doesn't happen, then I'll die and I'll go to Jesus. That's Christianity. But I'd like to suggest to you that that is not your purpose, your reason, the assignment, the mission that's over your life as believers. As Christians, we are not called to evacuate this world. We are called to transform it. We are called to establish God's kingdom on this planet. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the savior of the world. Because the world means something to him. The gospel is not just meant to impact mankind, but human society. This world we live in. I'm making sense. The great hope of the Christian faith is that though we may suffer the pains of physical death, there is a reward and a glory that far eclipse this present suffering that we may experience. And that reward is called heaven. In that day, you know, we'll stand before Almighty God, we'll worship Him, we'll gaze at His feet, we'll do all that heavenly good stuff. No more pain, no more sorrow. Amazing. But here's the challenge. The challenge is this, that we cannot confuse our reward for our assignment. 
we cannot confuse what is meant to be our destiny for, from our responsibility. Our destiny, our reward is heaven. But our responsibility, our assignment is heaven on earth. It's different. One is a place you are going to go to. The other is your assignment, is a reality you are called to bring. Am I making sense? The way I like to illustrate this, uh, this point is, you know, picture you're in a championship football game. Okay, and you're playing the game and it's a championship match and you have the first place trophy on display in the stands, right? And you know you're, gonna, you're playing the game to win that trophy. That makes sense? Yes, you're playing the game to win the trophy and so you're in the match. You're playing. And that is the goal. The goal is that trophy. How many of you in playing that game would take the ball, turn it towards the trophy, and give a good one and kick the trophy. You wouldn't do that, right? Your assignment in that moment is to play that match to the best of ability, win that game, and then get the trophy. Even though the trophy is the goal, there is a present assignment, a present responsibility that precedes that goal. Heaven is our goal, but heaven on earth is our assignment. This is what we are called to do to occupy ourselves with. For most Christians, you know, we look up to the sky and we go, Jesus, come. When are you coming? <laughs> and we push a lot of the solutions of the problems to, uh, of the world's problems. We push a lot of the solutions, uh, answered prayer. We push it to the second coming. When Jesus comes, everything will be settled. And the problem is this, you know, we push so much of the solutions, the responsibilities that we are called to embody as the body of Christ into an age to which we have no responsibility for. When so much of what we ought to see has already been accomplished by Jesus' first coming. His blood shed on the cross has paid for our healing, for our restoration, for the redemption of mankind. Yet we push it to an age to which we have no responsibility for. Heaven is our destiny, but heaven on earth is our assignment. The Old Testament calls it the promised land. The New Testament writers calls it the kingdom of God. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer gives us our assignment on earth as it is in heaven. My sermon title for for today is this. Miracles in our city as it is in heaven. In our city as it is in heaven. 38.5% of the stories in the four Gospels are about healing. In the Gospels, we see an immediate connection between the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus with the proclamation of the good news and healing. Through healing, Jesus gave his audience a glimpse of what the fullness of the kingdom of God will look like. They were signs or pointers to the future kingdom finding expression in the here and now. God's will for the earth was breaking into the world through Jesus. The kingdom had been inaugurated and healings were a sign of its arrival. Yet while the time of ultimate fulfillment lay in the future, when everyone was experienced the fullness of the kingdom, God's reign was now being seen in its early stages. In this light, the miraculous takes on a whole new meaning. It is something that should be anticipated even today as evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, heaven on earth. 
I believe in this place, none of us will refute Jesus, his miracle working power, his ability to turn even the darkest of circumstances and situations into something for his glory. Even liberal scholar Marcus Bock said this, despite the difficulty which miracles pose for the modern mind, on historical grounds, it is virtually indisputable that Jesus was a healer and exorcist. None of us here, I believe, lack the faith to believe and to pray to God for a breakthrough. We don't lack the faith to pray to God and trust Him for a breakthrough. But here's the thing, though. We often lack the faith to believe that the same God we pray to, His Spirit resides in you and me. And that Spirit is given to us for the purpose of releasing breakthrough on the earth. We do not lack the faith to pray to God, to trust Him for things. But we lack the faith to believe that God has trusted us with the great treasure of heaven, His Holy Spirit. And that Spirit was given to us not for the the sake of goosebumps or for the sake of our personal enjoyment. His Holy Spirit was given to us for a reason, for a purpose, for a mission, heaven on earth. We've been entrusted with absolute power in the Holy Spirit. It isn't challenging for us to believe that Jesus healed people when he walked the earth and his healing power is still at work today. It's challenging, however, when we realize that he did not say, pray to me and petition that this individual be healed. He said, you go and heal the sick. He didn't say, pray, petition, back me to heal that individual. He said, you go and heal the sick. And Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Most of us don't lack the faith to ask God for stuff, but we lack the faith to believe that he has entrusted us with power and authority to see the impossibilities of life bow to his name. We lack the faith, trust in ourselves. In Matthew chapter 14, and this is a familiar passage of of scripture, we read this pretty pretty often. This is Jesus feeding the multitudes, the 5,000. But let's just read it together. But Jesus said to them, his disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Next slide. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And now this is not an unfamiliar passage of scripture. We reference it often and we talk about God's ability to supernaturally provide for us. We talk about the boy and his sacrifice. He gave everything that he had to serve people. But the line that we often miss is in that last paragraph. And Jesus breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. If you read it in his original text, it would suggest that Jesus took the food, he took the bread, he broke it, and after he broke it, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples went about distributing 
the bread. The food multiplied in the hands of the disciples, not Jesus. The food multiplied in hands of the disciples, not Jesus. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they go, Messiah, you do it. And God used the hands of disciples to multiply food. Here are two points I'd like to bring up from that story. One, God wants to co-labor with us. He wants us part of the equation. Many times we pray for breakthroughs, we pray for miracles, we pray for the provision, the sovereign intervention of God, but we are not willing to put in any effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Let me say that again. The grace of God is, not oppo- is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You and I, we did not earn our salvation. We agree on that. But the Bible says that we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Though you did not earn it, and you have no ability to earn it, doesn't mean you are void of personal responsibility and effort. God wants to co-labor with us. Not because He's limited in power or because He's in need, but because He wants you part of the equation so that you can experience the joy of the miracle and the joy of reward. It's an act of grace and mercy. Second point is that often what we expect God to do for us, He wants to do through us. Often what we expect God to do for us, He wants to do through us. The mistake in our approach to prayer is such that the responsibility of the matter is automatically relegated when we pray. All of a sudden, there is no sense of personal responsibility required. A classic phrase would be, I let go and I let God. Probably one of you have it tattooed somewhere. I'm so sorry to ruin your tattoo, but... My suggestion to you is that with whatever you pray, hear me, with whatever you pray, you are then required to make intentional decisions to reorient your life in posture of inheriting that which you have prayed for. Integrity is defined as the alignment between a person's thoughts, words, and deeds. That's integrity. Your thoughts, your words, and deeds are in alignment. I'd like to suggest to you, for the believer, integrity looks like your thoughts, your words, your deeds, and your prayers all syncing up in alignment. That means whatever I pray is whatever I think. Whatever I pray is whatever I do. Whatever I pray is whatever I say. That is integrity. Though there's much out of our own ability to accomplish, it does not, however, exclude us of personal responsibility. Are you all following me today? When we think of the sacrifice of Jesus, we straight away, you know, we associate it to the cross, the sufferings of the cross and all the pain and anguish that Jesus went through on the cross. We're not unfamiliar with Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But I believe there was an, uh, another aspect of sacrifice in the life of Jesus and that was the sacrifice of his incarnation. Jesus is God and God came as a man. That would mean that Jesus was in some way and form, you know, I'm not going to go into all the theological jargons of it, but Jesus was a man and he was confined to the limitations of man. That means that Jesus 
was a baby. He didn't come to earth as a full-grown Terminator man. He came as a baby. And the baby needed to be nursed. He needed to be cared for. He was weak. He probably needed his parents to take care of him. Take care of him. And the Bible even says that Jesus was tempted in every way. He faced temptation. The Bible says that Jesus hungered. He thirsted. And of course, you know, Jesus would end up dying, which is, you know, that's as human as it gets. Jesus dies. Jesus was human. Paul in Philippians said that God emptied himself and became a man. He emptied himself and became a man. A theologian in interpreting that line, emptied himself, explained it as such. God laid down his God card and became a man. If there was like a card that we can inherit that makes you God, Jesus laid it down. He laid down his God card and became a man. Jesus is not God pretending to be human. You know, like pseudo-human. No, he is human. Jesus is God and Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. Fully God and fully man. Here's here's, here's what I'd like to bring up. If Jesus performed the miracles as God, I would be impressed. Nonetheless, Amazing stuff. Glory to God. But it will leave me as a spectator, an observer. But if Jesus performed miracles as a man, then I'm summoned to live a higher standard. I am then provoked to ask myself the question, of why don't I see the kind of miracles that Jesus saw in his life? Is it crack? I shall. No, it's not crack. Yeah. That's a miracle on the sea. Are you following me? If Jesus performed miracles as a man, then I'm summoned, I'm provoked to ask myself the question why don't I see that kind of miracles in my life? Calls me to pursue a higher standard. And so we have established that Jesus emptied himself and became man. He became fully man. Limited, confined to the limitations of men. He became men. Question rather, the question we should ask now is, where did Jesus get his power to perform miracles? Where did Jesus get his power to perform miracles? And let's look at a few passages of scriptures. We start in Luke chapter 3. Familiar passage again. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. The word open there in his original text it's the same word used to describe the temple veil being ripped in two. It is not like a heaven like, ah, oh, open. It's a violent tearing. The heavens were violently tore apart when the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus. I'd like to put it to you that whatever you tear, you have no intention of putting back together. <laughs> Let me know tomorrow if you... We move on. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Next slide. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is Luke 4, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was led into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And this is the miraculous verse. Are you ready? And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. 
How many of you have tried to fast? I became hungry in the first minute and I never stopped being hungry the whole fast. But Jesus, afterward, when they ended, he was hungry. Miracle. Next slide. Then Jesus, after being tempted in the wilderness, it says this in Luke 4, 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. To Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at another verse, John chapter 5. We're asking the question, where did Jesus get his power to perform miracles? John chapter 5 verse 19. Jesus gave this answer and says this, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus lived a life, yielded to the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was yielded to the Father. That means that he didn't react to the onslaught of the devil. He didn't react to the circumstances, to the impossibilities around him. He responded to the Father. And we are summoned to live that kind of life. Not reactive. Not reacting to the issues of the world. Not reacting to every popular opinion. Not reacting to naysayers, but we respond to the Father. We looked heavenwards and we get God's perspective for the situation. If you live in reaction to the devil, in some twisted way, the devil has a say in your agenda. In the way you run your life. And if you live under the agenda of the devil. Jesus is the Lord, the devil is. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> he only did what he saw the Father doing. When I read the miracle stories, stories of God's, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the story of healing, signs and wonders, I should not read it as, of course, Jesus is God. It makes sense that he does this kind of God stuff. I should read it as, in light of him being fully man, I should read it as, this is what it looks like for a human being to live fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. When I read these stories, I should go, man, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be fully yielded to the Father, to be fully empowered and submitted to the Holy Spirit. This is what life ought to look like. Jesus came as a man to model to us what it means to live life on the earth. If he came as God, fully God, I would be impressed. But because he came as a man, he stands as a prototype of how to do life and experience life in all its fullness and its abundance. Come on. The same spirit that enabled Christ to walk wonders, that raised him from the dead, now resides in you and me. The great treasure of heaven. What are some of the impossibilities you're betting? What have you not seen bow to the name of Jesus? People addicted or bound by destructive habits? Marriages with the love wrung out of them and society asserting that this divorce is the only answer? Medical reports silently screaming death. Children exploding into unpredictable behavioral patterns. Bills towering above an overdrawn checkbook. Jobs disappearing and unemployment offering a way to nowhere. Long-term hopes dissolved. Constant pain from a physical problem that knows no reprieve. 
recurring frustration with a personal deficiency that can't be overcome, face to face with impossibility, or what seems like it. I think of impossible circumstances, you know, I think of the healing of cancer in some of the families that are represented here. I think of my own parents' salvation. I think of the trajectory of this nation and how it's in desperate need of the rule and reign of Jesus, the kingdom of God. My question is, are these just life's realities that we are to simply live with? Or are these opportunities for us to see the glory of God on display? To see these impossibilities bow to the name of Jesus so that we can have stories and testimonies like that. And the testimony is not just a feel-good moment. Testimonies, what do they lead to? They lead to praise, worship, glory, honor to God Most High. That's why we need testimonies. Catch this. God showed up as a pillar of fire in the dark cold night for the children of Israel and showed up as a cloud in the hot sunny day for the children of Israel. Pillar of fire in the dark cold night. Cloud by day. God specializes in showing up opposite to circumstance. Jesus is known as the light of the world. He came in probably the darkest hour of Jewish history. He came during the peak of Israel's oppression. Jesus came as the light of the world in the midst of darkness. And not just the darkness that people saw physically, the darkness of the soul, the darkness of the human nature. He came as the light of the world. When we turn on the lights today, darkness did not negotiate with the light. When the light turned on, Light has, is so superior to darkness that darkness instantly flees. There was no negotiation. Jesus is the light of the world, casting all darkness. But here's the catch. When he left, he said, Tech, you're it. He said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. What darkness that's present on the earth is awaiting you to arise and shine and let your light dispel the darkness that we see around us. What is waiting for you to step out in risk, to step out, minister the power of God and see impossible situations bow? What are situations in your family life, in your workplace, in your schools, in the environments that you're part of? What are some of the injustices that you see that needs to be remedied by the power of God? The Christian life is not an evacuation project. It's a call to transfigure a broken and lost world. And we have a part to play. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Yeah, making sense. (coughs) It's 12. I'm going to close real quick. Expand the time, Lord, if thou be willing. And some of you will pray against that. I would like to answer this question. I'm just going to cover it real quickly. How do I grow in power? Some of you might be asking a question. If I could put it in a formula, it would go like this. Intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith equals power. Simple equation. What is intimacy with God? Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Let's have it up. It says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In every part of our lives. 
John Wimber, a great uh, leader in the Christian faith, who has now passed on, he says this about hearing God's voice. He says, when I speak of listening God's voice, I mean developing a practice of communion with the Father in which we are constantly asking, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How do you want to use me? How shall I pray? Whom do you want me to evangelize to? Is there someone you want to heal? Sometimes the Holy Spirit gives me specific insights about people for whom I'm praying. These come as impressions, specific words, pictures in my mind's eye, or physical sensations in my body. These impressions help me know who and what to pray for as well as how to pray. I do not imply that I have an infallible hotline to God and that I always hear His voice and follow His leading. But I am open to God, listening to Him, confident that He wants to lead us to minister to others. If I could sum it all up, it is to do this. Learning to live with God at the forefront of your mind all the time. It's relationship. It's relationship. Second thing we need to do to grow in power is holiness. Jesus calls the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So it obviously makes sense that holiness is something pretty important to the Holy Spirit. Yes? You agree on that? The word holiness carries different meanings and memories for some. For some, it might be used as a means to enforce a particular behavior. Hey, you know, be holy. Do this. But I'd like to give you a very basic definition of what holiness is. A good definition of holiness is such, to be set apart for God's special purposes. That's what it means to be holy. To be set apart. Set apart from. That means we say no to the world, sin, the ways of the world that contradict God's ways. And we also are set apart for. For what? For communion with God, His mission, His presence. When it comes down to it, holiness is a lifestyle of obedience to do what Jesus says to do. We read this passage uh, scripture earlier, but let's put it up, Luke chapter 4. It says this, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. After he was tempted, after he went through 40 days in the wilderness, being taken by the devil, he came out full of the power of the Holy Spirit. That says to me this, that, Every temptation to disobey, to go into sin, is an opportunity to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every temptation presents itself as an opportunity for you to reaffirm your belief, your faith, your allegiance in God. But also, it presents itself as an opportunity for you to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? It looks like when you are in the gym and a girl walks in dressed like she's going to Siloso Beach. That's an opportunity for you to marvel at your shoes and how nice your shoes look like. And look up at the sky and how nice the sky and the ceiling is. That's an opportunity for you to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It looks like when your boss is an idiot and everyone knows you can do his job way better than he can, and you are in a room, and everyone is gossiping and talking smack about him, there's an opportunity for you to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It looks like when you're alone and no one's watching, everyone's asleep, it's late, your laptop is on, and you're alone. There's an opportunity for you to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It looks like when it's much easier to lie than to have a tough conversation, there's an opportunity for you to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit.
every temptation is an opportunity to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he trusts those in whom character is formed. And character is only formed in the midst of opposition, in the midst of choices. Thank you, honey. <coughs> Just struggling for affirmation. <laughs> Amy's teaching gosh, that's why. Uh, faith. Let's look at the last one. Faith. Faith. There is no getting around this one. Come on. We all need faith. Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 26 out of the 29 healing stories in the Gospels, we read about a comment about faith because of your faith, his faith, their faith, then you are healed. Healing and faith seems to go hand in hand. There's a symbiotic relationship between what we believe God is, can and will do, and what God actually does. Jonathan Seng wrote in his book, Miracle Work, he says his God's main goal is to encourage us to trust his love. So it makes perfect sense that he would arrange things so that power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing such power. Miracle-working faith believes that God is genuinely eager for the goodness of miracles. To put it another way, God himself is enthused by opportunities to demonstrate his compassion towards his children. And so that kind of like debunks what faith looks like for us. Faith doesn't look like, you know, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and miracle. You know, or like Peter Pan, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, and you fly. doesn't work that way. You don't turn it up. But faith, it looks like belief in God's character, in God's willingness to come through into a situation. That's miracle-working faith. That making sense? And the best way to grow in faith is risk. John Wimber, a man I quoted earlier, said, faith is best spelled R-I-S-K. That would mean when you pray for miracles, you aren't really certain how it would pan out, but you step out anyway. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. That's where we learn. Sometimes you give a prophetic word to someone and they go, what in the heck are you saying? But then other times you give a word and you know it's a very simple word and the person just ends up in a puddle of tears and laughs and rolls on the ground and you go, Christian recreation is the best. It makes it all worth it. The best way we grow is when we take risk, when we are willing to step out and be inconvenienced. Faith is only in function when there's mystery attached to it. We agree on that. If there isn't an element of mystery, uncertainty, risk in your life, then you can, tr- you can't, you can truly say, you can't truly say that you are an active participant in what we affectionately call the Christian faith. In order for faith to be present, there must be uncertainty. It making sense. Final story. Uh, after I passed my driving in Singapore, I know I took an auto license, license, but you know, get over it. <laughs> I took an auto license and I went to the US. And uh, when I went to the US, uh, I, I got around without having to drive a car for two years. But my third year, I was like, I need a car. So I bought a car. And uh, yeah, I'm not bothered. No, cars are really cheap there. And so I bought, bought a, a used car and I was there. And uh, I haven't driven in a long time. And so uh, I got in a car. And you know, my only driving experience up to then was driving on, in Singapore, on Singapore roads. And so I got out of the car and I remember my first day driving. Uh, I drove out of my, my house compound and I immediately made a, a left turn, as I would in Singapore, and I drove into oncoming traffic. And so, you know, I drove into oncoming traffic and uh, I didn't realize for a while because the roads are pretty empty. 
And then I was like, why are cars coming at me? Good gosh. And so, you know, cars were swerving out of the way and they were going around. And I think, you know, they, they, cars were slowing down to try and like take a look at like, who is this joker? They were, and they were probably expecting to see like an 80-year-old grandma trying, a, trying like, you know, maybe like, you know, drinking a smoothie and texting on the phone. But instead they saw a 24-year-old Asian boy trying his best. And so, and so you know, I, I made a, a very creative U-turn in the middle of the road. I won't tell you how I did it, but you know, it involved 15 points and holding, holding up traffic for a really long time. Anyway, so after that, you know, I managed to go back home. I parked my car at home. And for the next two days, I was like, I'm not driving. And so I walked to the grocery store, and that was like a kilometer away. So I walked to the grocery store, and I carried all my groceries home. But I had a perfectly functioning car. Because in my thought, I was like, you know, if this car stays parked here, I won't get into trouble, you know? <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. How many of you know that the car was designed to go places? It was designed to go places to do stuff. <laughs> A legally parked car will not get into any trouble. It's safe. But it was designed to go places, to do stuff. You can stay right where you're at and be safe. But you were designed to invade the impossible. You were designed to manifest the power of God in the face of impossible situations and circumstances. I'd like to end with three questions. And I, you don't have to answer them now, but I'd like us to ponder about these three questions even as we close the service shortly. Question one, how badly do you want to grow in the power of God? Are you willing to step out and do something about it enough to make certain choices unto holiness, put in certain practices into daily living? Question two, is the power of God even something necessary in your life? Are you living life in the realm of your own control and power and safety? Or are you positioning yourself in places that requires you to trust God and His power to actually exercise faith? What would a life empowered by the Holy Spirit look like to you? This is a new season in the life of this church. We must come to a conclusion that miracles are for today, that God is able and willing to work in our midst, and that we, by the Holy Spirit, can see impossibilities bow to the name of Jesus. I'd like to announce that from today onwards, there will always be someone praying for the miraculous in this church. Every Sunday, be it from the front, be it through our ministry teams, be it through your communities, there will always be someone standing in the gap for impossibilities to bow at the name of Jesus. Let's pursue this assignment of in our city as it is in heaven until the kingdoms of the earth become the kingdom of our God. Let's stand.